Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. that ominous, frightening feeling. Should you run away or should you stay and listen to the latest edition of Filmically Perfect on Run away! W-Y-S-O. It is Filmically Perfect on YSO. And this music... Stop gripping that shower curtain! <laughs> it has a visual, doesn't it? And it may forever have a visual. It's that... That's we stabbing. really we, we can only hope somebody's listening to our radio show right now in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> or in their car in a car wash. Water involved. We have gathered together today to talk about Alfred Hitchcock's 1960 perfect movie, Ooh, Psycho. Baby, what a movie. And this not only is for all men who are in love with their mothers. This <laughs> is a movie. This is not just for you guys. This is for everybody. So we want to make sure popular culture doesn't influence you in any way. This is for everybody. And it's I, entertainment. And it is an amazing piece of work from a director who who had been was already venerated by this time. Venerable Albert Hitchcock who had been doing these big, glossy, technicolor adventures for like the past few years and actually took a technological step backwards to do this little inexpensive film in black and white with a crew from his television program. And they shot it in like, I heard they shot it in like 28 days, something like that. But they went in and did some retakes, which moved their schedule up another 10 days. But I always heard that they did this in an amazing low budget television kind of schedule. Yeah, I think that was that was Hitchcock's whole deal with it was to just to keep him interested in it just to do something quickly and cheaply. Now there's two things that we're probably going to talk about more than anything in this motion picture and one is Bernard Herman who did the score on this who was really really making something of Hitchcock's films. They became uh completely different from all other movies and still to this day because of their combination, their partnership. Well, the the music in this one I was just thinking is is like another character. You know, the music doesn't isn't there for most of the film. There's no music. Imagine but, this movie but when without it is, the music. Yeah, the music really plays a very important role in the telling of the story. Even in the beginning of this movie, when the music peters out and it goes into these split kind of string effect we're over the city and and we're looking in these windows and and janet lee's in there having an affair with somebody but they bring this whole movie the horse that they ride is the music in this movie it's just the music runs this movie it just operates the tone this movie is a very uneven movie uh as you can see but you don't it doesn't really matter because of the way hitchcock is telling this story and uh herman has a lot to do with this because Hitchcock uses all sorts of conventions that he's picked up from the last 35 years of directing how to manipulate your mind and he instantly starts making you feel guilty. So by this point he he really had uh, little uh dramatic uh, cinematic uh, tricks down to a fine art. He, oh, yeah. He, I mean, from, from the get-go, you were already ha- under an impression. He was so far ahead of any story editor, any studio guy. Uh, he was quite the visionary when it came to cinema. By this time, he was around 60 years old, and he was saying, 
I'll take it from here, boys. And that's exactly what he did. And one of the things that one of the things I really love about this motion picture is nobody ever seems to to even talk about it is the fact that it's so good up to the shower sequence. And I always encourage people, don't just watch it up to the shower sequence and turn it off. Because the way he manipulates you and makes you start thinking, and Janet Lee is gonna steal that money. The money's on the bed. She keeps looking at it. And then she's driving in her car, which happens quite a bit with Hitchcock in a lot of movies. And and she sees her boss. She's got the money in the car. And she looks at him. He does this. There's hardly any dialogue. The only real big piece of dialogue, we have a, a setup, some B-roll and setup where you don't see it. But what he's starting to do is plant this seed of guilt in your head because you are thinking like Janet Lee. Come on, Tom. My office is air-conditioned. You know what I do about unhappiness? I buy it off. Are, uh, are you unhappy? Not inordinately. I'm buying this house for my baby's wedding present. $40,000 cash. Now, that's, that's not buying happiness. That's just buying off unhappiness. <laughs> I never carry more than I can afford to lose. Count them. I declare. I don't. That's how I get to keep it. Tom, a cash transaction of this size is most irregular. Now, so what? It's my private money. Now it's yours. Suppose we put it in the safe, and then Monday morning when you're feeling good... Oh, speaking of feeling good, where's that bottle you said was in your desk? Oh. <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes I can keep my mouth shut. <laughs> Lowry, I am dying of thirstaroni. Don't even want it in the office over the weekend. Put it in the safe deposit box in the bank, and we got him to give us a check on Monday instead. Well, there is a lot of huh. guilt in there. That money there? never made it to the bank, you know, if you've seen this movie. So we've got a perfect setup, and before we go along any further, we need to remind people that there's a perfect reason why this movie is filmically hey. perfect, and that's because there are very stringent rules. Yes! Psycho creates the world that it exists in. And it wholly sustains that world. And regardless of changes in society, Psycho retains its meaning and entertainment value. And Psycho will never be placed in any kind of preferential or numerical order. It is perfect in its own scale. Perfect in its own right. So, Baby, we, this is a perfect movie. We have this set up. It's just all this tension and angst and, and the notions of betrayal. So you, you start out with the, uh, there's an ominousness to, to the, the, the lead in. And so on that, would you well, give us... Yeah, I mean, it, it even starts out earlier than this. The scene just before the scene where the money comes in is uh, Janet Lee and John Gavin uh, having their rendezvous in the hotel room. And it basically, you know, they would love to run off and get married, but he's got a, you know, a little hardware store and he doesn't feel he has enough money to support her. And boy, if they had the money, they could do things. And so Marion gets that idea. After she takes the money home to put in the safe deposit box, there's a scene where she's laying her clothes out and, you know, and she decides to head out of town with the money. And just before she leaves town, as she's waiting for a stoplight, her boss sees her 
leaving town. What a scene that is. And so immediately her guilt starts to build, and this is where Bernard Herrmann's music comes in and slowly begins chugging away. And as she makes her way out into the California countryside, um, eventually making her way to a small motel off the off the highway, uh, where she basically gets lost because it's raining so hard. She kind of gets her gets her way all messed up, and and sort of finds this little mysterious Bates Motel out in the middle of nowhere, where she encounters this very pleasant, nice, handsome young man, Norman Bates. He's a little quirky, but he's very polite, and he brings her some sandwiches and. And uh, begins they like have these sandwiches together, and and he talks, you know, and they start talking about just different things, no big deal, you know. Um, and then she decides at that point that she's going to go back because she realizes they're talking to Norman that she's wrong, she's got much to live for, so she figures out how much she's used with this money and has to go back and replace the money and see if she can get forgiveness and that kind of thing. And so at that point, she decides to take a nice relaxing shower in the Bates <laughs> Motel, room number one, which it, she even, never comes yeah, out of. Even if people haven't seen this movie, they're probably familiar in some way with that whole setting, that right. what, what happened there. It's so classic. They always talk about how disturbing that little scene is. But here's what you've really got to think about is how good the setup is for it. That's why it's so disturbing, is that he just makes this spider web that you get caught in and he just this master of of cinema does it with cuts it's very uneven like i said before there's long dissertations followed by long expositions of just film cutting where she's driving in a car she's looking at cutaways and it it goes on and then the cop because she falls asleep and this cop this very disturbing image of a cop with sunglasses is is trying to get her to to respond to what he thinks is there's something going on and she's guilty and she just almost and he he follows her follows her and then they do these he does these amazing little cinematic pieces of film where where she's looking across the street and the cars are going by well she sees the cop and the car just goes by and he's gone and she and they they cut back to like an eye blink i mean this is this is done there's no quick cutting in this film. It's all very slow and very methodic. But he's very doing this incredible buildup in this setup for this shower sequence. And a lot, yeah, a lot of that is, especially, I mean, now, you know, like I said, it's such a well-known film. A lot of the surprise is kind of gone. But in 1960, there was really nothing like this. And Out especially, especially for people who were, were fans of Alfred Hitchcock, I mean, they knew him for like these big, colorful, splashy things, North by Northwest and... And a rear window and things like that. And here's this little black and white film. And and it's such – the beginning of the story is almost banal. I mean it's just like she's stolen money and she's running away and she's driving and she's driving and she's driving. So what happens is while you're kind of fascinated by it, you're also kind of like going, well, okay, whatever. You know, now she's going to go home. And then bam, you know, suddenly she's horribly murdered in the shower. And everyone's just kind of <gasps> – just kind of sits there silent, and then it returns to the banal story, yes. and it goes it back incredibly it. a very standard detective story. Yeah, and you add this Martin Balsam as this as the as the detective coming in looking for Marion, and he's going around and he's talking to people, and and you know he kind of again Hitchcock again calms you down and lulls you into this false sense of security, and he's going along, and then and then bam. 
the detective gets stabbed in the head and he goes down the stairs and he's killed and it's really nasty. And that really and then, great process shot right. where he's he's like rolling on a log or something in the process. It's almost like a saddle. Him. They had him on like a saddle kind of thing. Um, and, yeah, and then your suspicions have been confirmed. Yes, he is dangerous. Right. And then and then but then right after the detective's murder. It goes right back to the quiet, banal story. So Hitchcock always kind of referred to this as his favorite comedy, but in this That's case, so the joke—the joke is on the audience. He's telling the joke, but the joke is on the, the joke is on the audience because you're being pulled both ways, up and back, and up and back. <laughs> you know, and it he, is he's, the, the amazing um, talent that Hitchcock possessed was making you feel guilty. <laughs> He does it every time you watch the movie. I mean, it's, it's just a. There's one really creepy scene that will play for you, of course, um, <laughs> <laughs> where Norman's talking to Marion, and and again the she's the pangs of guilt are just starting to come out of her pores right before your very eyes, and and he's surrounded by these crazy looking birds when he's talking, and and they shoot him low, and you see his Adam's apple flipping up and down, and uh, that's in that scene, isn't it, George? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. But oh, another long piece the movie. of this is like a five minute scene of of nothing but vocal dissertation followed by exposition and disturbance, you know, as... <laughs> I think... I think that... we're all in our private traps, clamped in them, and none of us can ever get out. We scratch and, and claw, but only at the air, only at each other. And for all of it, we never budge an inch. Sometimes we deliberately step into those traps. I was born in mine. I don't mind it anymore. Oh, but you should. You should mind it. Oh, I do. (laughs) But I say I don't. You know, if anyone ever talked to me the way I heard, the way she spoke to you... Sometimes, when she talks to me like that, I feel I'd like to go up there and curse her and, and, and leave her forever. Or at least to fire. But I know I can't. It's a film like Lee Perfect, and we're talking about Alfred Hitchcock's 1960 movie Psycho. And who, which actors did we hear there? That was Anthony Perkins, and he was never able to shake that role. He that tried for a long time. Creepy. He tried for a long time, but he actually ended up kind of coming back to it and doing yeah, Psycho Two and Psycho Three. Oh, oh, talk about Poor guy. Know, how Banal, uh, that's Banal remaking that movie how many times? But mm-hmm. um, Marion Crane is played by Janet Lee, and that's another part of sort of Hitchcock's joke in this is that Janet Lee was the biggest star in this film. I mean, she was a huge star. She'd been in films about ten years or so, and was a big name. And he puts her in this film, features her prominently, and then promptly kills her off. Yes, we get in attached the first to her, thirty minutes. Of course, yes. because well, we... That is a little bit funny when you say it yeah. that way. It didn't seem funny before, but he he thought that was funny. When I was a well, not ki- only does he kill her off, but he kills her off in in this just <laughs> grisly at the time, this grisly murder scene, 
Which I mean, we could do and a whole show. And the blood down the drain, and the, the fact that it was the, black and white, it's been and completely so, cliched through the yeah, years. Yeah, forever and ever. Yeah. But I mean, it, it, let's okay, let's get it over with. Let's talk about the shower scene real quick. Uh. Okay, <laughs> the shower scene. You know, it took up a whole week to shoot it. The sh- it, it's got all uh. these setups. Um, and it's interesting. I think at, at different times, both um, everybody's taking credit for. Yeah, everyone it. takes credit for it, but of course, Anthony Perkins and Janet Lee have both said they actually weren't there when they shot the onset painter. Nobody was actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's funny. But the guy um, that delivered hot dogs at noon on that day. Oh, I shot that scene. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it is. I mean, you cannot deny that it, as just as a piece of editing work, it it works so well. But you have to give credit to Bernard Herman and the sound editor for that for that uh, piece. You mean the composer, the, mu- the composer. music. Because if you watch a scene, and on some of the DVDs now, they have a neat sequence where you can watch it without sound. And then watch it with sound, and without the sound, there's there's not a whole lot to it, because Hitchcock and this again, Hitchcock is such a brilliant mind in this because you never see a knife cutting anything, you never see a knife actually hit her body anywhere nothing, in no this. tearing of flesh, anywhere. no tearing of flesh, nothing like that. It's all in cutting, haha, no no pun intended, and <laughs> and in editing and in the sound effects and that music that just drives the action. People do that. Do that. This speaks to rule number three. Do it to this day. When something you think is really weird, or you think somebody's acting, when you go and 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 yeah. do the knife motion with your hand. Yeah. I mean, people that have never seen the movie and may never see it understand that that means do do little 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 cuckoo little bonkers. Something's right. off at the my, rocker at, here. At my desk of work, I actually have a Bates Motel sign that lights up. It's hanging <laughs> on the wall, and everyone gets the biggest kick out of that. And they all, oh, as soon as they see it, they know exactly what it is and where it's from, and they all want it. When I when I was uh, when I was very young when I was watching this, um, I used to get kind of mixed up because Vera Miles looks so much like uh, uh, the Marion character who's played Lee. by Jennifer uh, Janet Lee. Lee, and uh, George thinks that that was deliberate. I think it's very deliberate. And she's a blonde. She's very attractive. She has a very kind of similar face. Um, and I think because I think when Norma sees the sister, he's kind of taken aback because she does resemble Janet Lee. You know, and and his his sort of his his murderous character comes out again. You know, when when she's there. Now, you know, I, I can't badmouth, and I'm not going to Gus Van Sant. I I can't do that. I'm and not. who is that? He did a literal shot for shot remake, remake of this movie with modern actors, and it was in color. And I tried to watch that movie, and I, you know, I'm I'm pretty pretty good with composition. I can remember it because of what I do, and I was watching that, and it was measured pretty good. I mean, the the shots were pretty much the way Hitchcock had set them up and storyboarded them, but it just wasn't even close to the beautiful original movie that you can watch and still be disturbed by. Was it the which color? Means you're or being was entertainment. it? I mean, no, it's just that Hitchcock was the painter. Yeah. Uh, you well, can't. and as, as good a director as Gus Van Zandt is, he's not Alfred Hitchcock. And that just shows Why you, would you even don't want try to this do at that? home. Isn't that a weird thing to want <laughs> it is, to it do? It is a weird thing. I mean, it's it would be like remaking Citizen Kane in color. But see, the studio is always trying to get that lightning in a bottle. They want to, hey, let's do the same show 
with modern actors because mm-hmm. these are all old actors. That's a different generation. And I'm sure that's the way they were talking with Gus. And, I, and, and let's do a really cool experiment. Let's shoot it shot for shot just the way Hitchcock did it. But there was some sort of element and timing in the editing and the way it was cut together that no matter how close they got, they were so far away. It's like, why you know? bother? I don't get it. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like if you set out to cover someone's song um, and you're doing it note for note, you know, I can tell you right away, I would rather hear the original. If you'd like to put something, you know, personalize it in, in some way, mutate it and add another depth of meaning or another angle, well, then that seems worthwhile. So I guess it there was all some... comes down to greed, the reason why they would even attempt such a oh, thing. Oh, always greed. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's called making money. But they And how many times did they do Psycho 1, Psycho 2, Psycho 3? Oh There's my goodness! Psycho Four also. You know, it, you begin to feel really? like you begin to feel like Janet Lee in the shower after you watch <laughs> all those movies because they're so bad. And and Anthony Perkins played in, I think it was Psycho Two or Psycho Two and Three. I believe and, and because he wasn't able to get any other parts because I think the think money was too was just so creepy. I'm, yeah, I'm seeing the the money was just too good too for him. Too much for him. He's in some other great movies. I mean, he's a, he was a really good. I've seen him younger. He, I've seen very him in several serious, things younger. Very strong yeah. actor. Yeah. He was a younger man, but yeah, this this film as you know as great as a thing it was. I'm mean, I'm sure he thought you know working with Hitchcock, wow, he had it made, but he could not. He did a little too well, I think. He was a little too good. Isn't that weird? He got typecast because uh, he was just too good, or maybe it was different enough. It was so different to audiences that it was hard then to not see him and associate with that really distinct when you're gonna, experience. When you watch this movie, it makes more sense when you watch The Birds. If you would watch Strangers on a Train and then watch The Birds. Uh, you know, yeah, I can see a few similarities. But when you watch this movie, you can see where Hitchcock's uh, going to drive in the future. Well, because and, and as you mentioned, birds, this film is full of bird references. Oh, my goodness. I mean, uh, and I have to give give uh, thanks to, to one of our professors at Wright State, yeah, uh, Charles Derry, who brought this to our attention in class that, you know, I mean, right from the first shot of the movie, which is kind of a bird's eye view of the city, <laughs> and it comes down, the camera kind of comes down like a pigeon and lands on the edge of the hotel room window and then goes on in. And throughout, you have Marion Crane, okay, <sighs> Crane, uh, in the room where she's staying, there are pictures of birds on the wall. Uh, Norman's hobby is taxidermy, so he, he stuffs stuffs birds. He says, uh, you know, you eat like a bird at one point. After the shower murder, when he sees her body lying on the floor, he backs up and he knocks a picture off the wall, and it's a picture of a bird. So here's the fallen sparrow, you know. So just if you look at what is that? Why birds? Is it something that Alfred Hitchcock was his own fear of birds, or it's just is there something imagery there that's deeper? You know, the irony is I I don't remember if they ever said what it all means, but it's just sort of a unifying (laughs) thing. Can't help but not know. But I tell you, when he when he does the birds, these little creatures beat up on everybody you know he he it's not always the right. size accounts with hitchcocks it's always the break of fate or that sudden little look uh if you watch that if you break it down and watch it very carefully when the boss is walking in front of the car um he looks back at her and she kind of hides for a second she looks back up and then he, he looks at her like it can't be he doesn't want to believe it's her and then he walks away and boy are you hooked then. <laughs> We've been talking about Psycho, the Alfred Hitchcock uh, movie released in 1960 that uh, might have been said to be a step back, uh, moving back into black and white, but certainly left an indelible mark on the psyche of moviegoers ever since. And let's talk about the rules. Um, certainly, you created the world you know, from that original, from the initial 
landing on the windowsill, mm-hmm. even through the mundanity, the, 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 you know, the... the well, that's so- the one of the things I love about it is, like I said, you're, he's setting you up. <laughs> it's like the <laughs> ultimate knock-knock And you want to be set <laughs> up. You just sit there and you just say, okay. <laughs> um, I'll give you a real quick anecdote. Uh, my wife took her niece to see this for the first time on the big screen, which I'm so jealous because I realized now I've never seen it on the big screen. And and they got to the the scene, the the shower scene, and she leaned over to my, to her niece and she went, "You know what's going to happen, right?" And she goes, "Yeah." And then my wife says, "Doesn't help, does it?" So <laughs> actually, it wasn't no, it wasn't the shower scene. It was when the the detective gets murdered. Still, they, they do so. He does really goofy things in this movie. They go to church. They, they, they go to church and they're shaking hands. And they them. confront the sheriff outside of the church. <laughs> and then they go to dinner after church. Let's go on over and have some dinner. And uh, uh, then, you know, the, the, it's just a detective oh, story. Yeah, and That's all it is. And, and and pretty soon, you know, like George says, there's this overhead shot and some steps. And, uh, yeah. you know, like I said, there's only two <laughs> two basic villains in the world, gravity and Nazis, you know. And then he falls down the steps. Falls down you the know. Gets stabbed. Uh, <laughs> and then at the end... It's all okay if I you show that. that you show that little yeah. thing at the end where he's got the superimposition of his mother over. It. Well, that's kind of goofy, does. But if you watch that whole movie, it ain't so goofy. Look at that; it creeps you out even to this day. It's a really sloppy superimposition. We had opticals back then, and uh, you know they don't do it with a slick digital way, but it still works. You know, and that's what I was saying when you compare the Gus Van Sant's version. Nothing against Gus now, because uh, you know. It's just kind of makes Hitchcock's me want to see it, but hand, I don't know. You know? I don't know. It's what did out you there. Think? It's, I have not seen it. I yeah. just I had no need to see it. We got I saw this, it was on. We got was, this one. It was know? on television one night, and I saw it coming up, and I recognized all the shots. But I thought, and okay, I said, okay, I'm going to sit here and watch this thing, and I, I couldn't put my finger on it. I thought it's just got to be Alfred Hitchcock, the master, hasn't got any fingerprints on this thing. It's just a very bad copy are we talking down to like you know the items on the shelf they tried they did or i'm sure they deviated but i was looking at it and they got they changed color you know because it was in color and they made a a, a different curtain pattern occasionally but it wasn't those are all subtle changes because they had modern actors that we're all Mm -hmm. attached to and that of course is going to make more money for them you know I, i just think it was a good experiment from the aspect where you see how a really good movie no matter how even when they make a remake and they try to do it identical to how it just never can, you can't replace the real God, thing. Why bother? So. I'm sorry. I just will never understand why you would bother. But I understand that you said that it's greed, and I appreciate that. But wow, I just always would like to go back to the original. Well, you know, despite the remakes and and the and the sequels, uh, Rule Three is uh, sterling, rock solid. It um, it absolutely has remained entertaining throughout all this time. And I wonder, I mean, why is it? Because there's plenty that's dated about it. But I guess maybe the sparsity of it in some ways, maybe the mundanity. Uh, uh, lends it. I think it, I think you're right. I think it, it doesn't have any real affectation, um, and it's very simple and straightforward. And I think that's the beauty of it is that it is so simple and straightforward. There's really not another Hitchcock film that's quite like it. I mean, he really was kind of a dandy when he made films, and you know, put a, a lot dandy. of dandy and lots of fancy, <laughs> fancy, fancy things. I mean, look at North by Northwest. You yeah. know, it's it's just rich in the colors and everything. This one is just totally out there. By itself, in all of his films, there's really not another one quite like it. Maybe Frenzy a little bit with some of the violence, 
but even it is not it's it's much more comical this than tale this one is. Is at the same time as so disturbing, but it's very quaint. It's just a simple quaint tale mm-hmm. of 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 you know, bad luck, maybe. Uh, <laughs> a great tale of misfortune. Of greed and bad luck. <laughs> but it's, it's quaint. It's quaint. And, and then the disturbing, violent images. It, but it's quaint. It's quaint. And... <laughs> we'll add another one to the roster of perfect films for Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. And uh, it's Psycho, 1960. Alfred Hitchcock. I think we all uh, three very, very highly recommend uh, seeing it. And images will stick with you for quite some time. And uh, gentlemen, we are just about out of time. I want to say thank you so much. George Williman from the Library of Congress, thank you for being here today. Thank you, Mother. And as always, Jay Todd, it's been a treat. Always my pleasure. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.